Well, it is a joy to be a member of this church. Amen. This is such a good family. We love this place and love the people here. It's just a blessing to be here. And what a privilege to stand in this pulpit and preach here. I just thank God for that. Thank God for that. Take your Bible, if you would, please, and let's go to Psalm 19, if you would, please. Psalm 19. Have you been to the grocery store lately? Have you noticed any changes? I want to try to, uh, in the next 60 seconds, make make you thankful that you live in in Georgia or live in Tennessee, whichever. Uh, There is a town, the town of Barrow, Alaska, we went several years ago. Barrow is on the northern point of Alaska. It's the farthest you can go in Alaska, okay? And they bring in their food on planes. It's called a combi. They take 737s, Boeing 737s. They have a, a, a have it divided in two in half, and all the luggage, excuse me, all this um, uh, baggage is forward, and all the uh, passengers sit in the back half. So it's divided right in half. So you imagine what the prices go. I'm going to show you some prices and just try to make you thankful that you live where you live. Amen. Let me get to it here, and let's go to the grocery store. Bananas, two ninety nine a pound. Tomatoes. Five forty nine a pound. If you buy one cauliflower and pay the sales tax, it would cost you over ten dollars for one cauliflower. Okay, two pounds of carrots would be six dollars. How much should a package of hot dogs cost? Well, fortunately, this week they're on sale at only nine ninety nine for the hot dogs. Okay, uh, how about two pounds of bacon? What should that cost? How about twenty four dollars and twenty nine cents? Are you thankful yet? Okay, uh, TV dinners about seven and a half dollars. Uh, there's the medium-sized box of cereal, not the big box, but the medium box is for an eight and a half dollars. A two-liter, five ninety-nine. Drink that slowly, son. Okay. Uh, the cookies were uh, eight and a half dollars. There, here's baklava for sixteen dollars. Uh, goldfish, five dollars for that pack of goldfish. Now, this is the medium-sized bag of chips, not the big one, but the medium ba- bag of chips is eight ninety-nine. How about? Saying thank you, Lord, that I live here. Amen. And I just thought I'd share that with you. Psalm 19. Before we do it, let me just mention the kids' crusade, the family crusade. It's not this week, as it says on the screen. It's actually next week, starting next Sunday night. We'll start, I believe, at five o'clock. Get out right at six thirty. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We'll start at six thirty and dismiss promptly at eight o'clock. Okay, we're trying to be very, very punctual there. You'll meet Andy. Andy is at home right now. He skipped church tonight, but you'll meet him next week, and I think you'll enjoy him. Uh, people don't remember me, but they always remember Andy. We'll be having what's called gospel illusions, gospel tricks. Not really magic, but tricks each night. I think you'll enjoy that. We'll be having Bible games with boys against the girls. We'll be having also be having uh, Bible messages and PowerPoint every single night as a gospel message. And then we'll be having the game show, Minute to Win It, kids racing the clock, 60 seconds, winning prizes. A lot of fun elements in the program. But look past the fun and the games and all that. The reason we're here is to preach the gospel and see people saved. Amen. We just came from a church, or excuse me, a Christian school in North Carolina, and had, I think, 90 kids there, 90 students, and it's one of the friendliest groups I've ever worked with in my life. It was just friendly, outgoing kids. We saw a number of them saved. I think it was Thursday. I was back at the book table. A little girl came up to me, probably eight or nine years old, a big, big, happy grin on her face. She said, I get saved. She said it just like that. Folks, that one child, being saved for eternity, is worth all the traveling we could do for the rest of our lives. And so focus on what's going to happen there. We're asking God to give us a harvest of souls this week. And just that's why we're, that's why we're here. We're going to be having a good contest, a visitor contest. And we have what's called a rocket balloon. It's kind of a neat thing that we'll give to the kids that bring visitors. And we're going to give away a brand new iPad 
to the individual or to the family that brings the most visitors. Now, just so we understand each other, let me show you a picture of the iPad. It comes from Walgreens. <laughs> and as you see, it says it's perfect for covering the eye. Look past the iPad. Let's say I give you a $600 iPad. You use it for a couple of years, and it's obsolete. It's in the closet, isn't it? So forget the iPad. Let's just say you're concerned about a neighbor across the street, a coworker, your grandkids, some family member. Anyway, you bring that person, they hear the gospel, they get saved this week. 10,000 years from now, you rejoice, you'll be rejoicing that God used you. And that's why we're here for the crusades, just to see people saved. So we pray, and we'll let God use each one of us. We will be giving away a drone. Those things are a lot of fun. We'll give away a drone to the person that brings the most visitors. And then also, Brother Levi tells me we've got a radio-controlled helicopter as well. And so those are two things. We'll be having a penny offering each night. It comes down to weighing the pennies on a giant scale, the boys against the girls. Tell me who's going to win this, this penny offering. Raise your hand you think the boys will win. Hey, raise your hand. You think the girls are going to lose in the penny offering? Okay. Well, that was settled easily. We'll have a couple of captains, team captains, and I believe there's a dreadful penalty for the losing captain. We'll have some fun. But let me ask you to do three things. Number one, be praying, praying, praying throughout the next few days that God will work this and use this. Pray the devil won't be allowed to come in and distract in any way or hinder, hinder people coming from the Lord. Secondly, come every single night if you possibly can. And typically, you're here Sunday night, you're here Wednesday night, so we're just asking for a couple extra nights. But plan to be here every night if you possibly can. You'll enjoy what happens. And then thirdly, please, please, please bring people with you. Several years ago, I did a meeting in liberal Kansas. I couldn't find a conservative Kansas, so I had to preach at liberal. The church ran three buses. But they told me on Saturday, they said, we're not going to run the buses this week. And I said, why not? They said, we're going to ask the parents to bring the kids. I thought, fat chance of that. That's why we have bus ministries. Parents don't care. They didn't run their buses, but every night we had several dozen kids and we had parents every single night, 28 or 30 parents, and every night except for one, we had one or two or three or four bus parents saved. It was an incredible week. Here's what I'm saying. If you get involved and start bringing people, working together and bringing people, the rest is up to the Holy Spirit of God and He'll do His work. But let, let, let God use you, and we're asking for a harvest of souls there. Plan to be here probably either Monday or Tuesday, probably Tuesday night, we will do the story of the Titanic with PowerPoint. There was a Scottish preacher on the Titanic, John Harper, with his six-year-old daughter, Annie. And when that ship was going down, what John Harper did is beyond belief. It's an incredible story. I've studied the Titanic for years and years and preached on it for years and ran across this story just a couple of years ago. It's an incredible story. So plan to be here and plan not to miss anything. We're going to be having it in. Let's stand, if you would. Let's sing a song before we get our message tonight, if you would, please. Together. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Striving to please Him in all that I do. Yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee. For Thou in Thy atonement didst give Thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be Thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, for Thee alone.
And why do we serve the Lord Jesus? Because of Calvary. In the second verse, if I can get this up here. Living for Jesus, who died in my place, bearing on Calvary my sin and disgrace. Such love constrains me to answer his call. Follow his leading and give him my all. O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee. For thou in thy atonement didst give thyself for me. I owe no other master, my heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. If we take your Bible, look at Psalm 19. Let's read the last verse in that chapter, in that psalm. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Some people are sitting either way, that, that'll work. But Psalm 19 and verse 1, together aloud, together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. A key verse, an important verse. Read it with me a second time, if you would, please. Together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Father, thank you for the blessed, blessed privilege of standing and sharing your word. Again, I would ask that you'd fill me with your power, with your spirit. Lord, take this simple message and speak to hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. If you would, be seated, please. When God created you, and God created me. He gave each of us a very special gift that he gave to none of the animals. You know what it is. You say, we have a spirit. We have a God consciousness. We can communicate with God. He can communicate with us. That's true, but that's not what we're talking about. You say, we have an eternal soul. The animals will not live forever, but we will. That's not what we're talking about. There's this very special gift that came from God. We use it every day of our lives, and it's a very special gift, the gift of speech. The ability to talk is a gift that came from God himself. Amen. And because it came from God, we want to use it in a way that honors and glorifies Him. And I can't get this to advance. There we go, okay? Now, for just a few minutes, I want to try to show you what life would be like without the gift of speech. My sons and I are scuba divers. When you're underwater, you can't talk. You have a regulator in your mouth, and if you take it out to talk, you can't breathe. I would rather breathe than talk, amen? If you do take it out, you get strange bubbles, strange sounds, but you simply cannot talk when you're underwater. And perhaps that's why we don't have that many female scuba divers. Now, for just a few minutes... We're just a few minutes here. I'm going to try to show you what life would be like without the gift of speech. I'm going to ask a couple of men to come up and help me out. These are good communicators. Brother Bryce, would you come up here, please, and help me? Brother Harold, would you come up and help me, please, sir? Now, for just a minute, we're going to take away their gift of speech and just see how well they can communicate without it, okay? Brother Harold, could I ask you just to stand right here, please, sir, and face that, that wall right there? Please don't look at the screen for just a moment. Brother Bryce, I'm going to take your gift of speech away. You're going to ask this question of Brother Harold uh, without your gift of speech. You can point, you can gesture, but no, no words, okay? Let's see how well he does with the, without the gift of speech. Brother Harold, turn around. There's something Brother, uh, Brother Bryce wants to ask you, sir.
you're driving, you don't know where you're going. Is that a lawnmower? <laughs> Picking up people. You're looking to where you're going. Wood. Lock. Now freeze, freeze, freeze. Wouldn't life be awkward this way? Without the gift of speech? Let's give you back a gift of speech. Just ask him. How do I get to Walmart? <laughs> now let's reverse the roles. Brother Bryce, if you'll stand over here and face that corner for just a minute. Brother Harold, this one may be admittedly a little bit more difficult, but you, you're a good communicator. Would you ask, make this statement to him, okay? Can we just minute this thing's not working very well here. Okay. Let's back up. Okay, go ahead. Brother okay. Bryce, if you'll turn around, Brother Harold wants to ask you something without his gift of speech. <laughs> Where's KFC? <laughs> uh, chicken, okay. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Chicken circle? Chicken, chicken house? Chicken... Chicken food? Chicken pizza? No, freeze, freeze. Wouldn't life be awkward this way? <laughs> I get it. Let's give him back his gift of speech. Go ahead. You say it. Chicken pizza. Oh, chicken pizza from Domino's. <laughs> give these men a hand. They're communicators. Very good. Now, because this gift came from God, we want to use it in a way that honors Him and glorifies Him. But let me start with the negative. There's some things we should never, ever do, especially as believers, ever do with this gift of speech. Let's go to a verse here. I'll save some time by putting the verses on the screen. Together. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that take his name in vain. Exodus 20, verse 7. God's name is sacred. Amen. God's name is holy. God's name must be reverence. Now, in our ministry, we do a lot of door-to-door work. And we carry some tricks with us. We make animal balloons. I have some trick nickels and things. But my favorite trick is called a malgoon. It's a little wooden box, 10 inches wide, 14 inches long, and it's divided into two compartments. One, one is, is open. You can see inside it. The other is closed. There's a little doorway between them. And I'm showing it to a, a victim on the porch, their front porch, and they're scratching, scratching the screen. When it's ready, I, I open the gate hook. The top flies open, and a piece of fake fur about three inches wide and four feet long comes springing out and lands on your shoulder. It'll stop your heart for about three seconds. But you know what three words invariably come out of the mouth of a person when they're caught off guard and they're scared momentarily? And I say this regretfully. Oh, my God. What bothers me, though, I can be doing that in a, a church like ours. I do it to a Sunday school teacher, an Awana leader, the pastor's wife. And when this believer is caught off guard, many, many times the same three words come out of the mouth of a believer. That's a travesty, isn't it? Would you ask God to set a watch before your lips that you'd never dishonor his name in that way? Believers, many more and more, are, are using God's name in a flippant way. There's a pastor not, not real far from here. I've had several crusades with him and visited with him in the afternoon. And we'd be walking together and talk, going door to door, and he'll say, Good Lord this, and good Lord that, and Lordy, Lordy. And finally one day I stopped and said, Preacher, I hate to hear somebody use God's name in, in a flippant way. Now the word Lord is not really his name, but it's his, it's his title, isn't it? it's his office. I said, I hate to hear somebody use that, that term in, in a flippant way. And you would have said, and he was sincere. He said, Brother Ed, I hate that too. He was not even aware that he was doing so. 
So I'm saying this, ask God to set a watch before your lips that you would never use your gift of speech to dishonor our Lord in that way. And if you're a person who usually does that, it's going to take some doing to, to learn that, isn't it? And by the way, there's a lot of other polite ways to swear. The words gosh and golly and darn and heck, and we hear those words all the time. And I hear believers use those words all the time. And really, they're polite ways to say a, a more graphic word. Here's a second verse I want to ask you to read with me, if you would please. Together, lying lips are abomination to the Lord. But they that deal truly are his delight. Proverbs 12, 22. What is the second thing we should not do with this gift of speech? We should not use it to tell a lie. Now, I'm just old enough. When I was a kid, even most unbelievers were careful to tell the truth. Back in those days, they had an expression they used quite often. A man's word is his bond. Let me try to illustrate what, back in the old days, let's say I'm going to sell my house to Brother, brother um, Larry here. How do we close the deal back in the old days? A handshake. Brother Larry, I'm selling you my house for $32,000. i will be out in 30 days. Agreed? And I just sold the house. Two hours later, though, Brother Dale comes up and offers me thirty-six for the house I just sold for thirty-two. Now, I don't really have a contract with Brother Larry, do I? Yes, I do. I gave that man my word. And back in the old days, you did everything possible to make sure you never had to break your word. And sometimes people say, well, I have to make, you know, a little white lies. I'm a, I'm a salesperson. If you have to lie to make a sale, then change, change careers. It's been important. Years ago, when I first went to ministry, I went to ministry, I went to school when I was 16 years old, graduated 19, at the age of 19, went down to a little church on the Mexican border, and was there for a year. When that pastor left that ministry, then he kind of handed me off to his best friend who pastored a church in Phoenix, Arizona, a church of about 1,100. Probably the second week I was there, I'm in the office talking to the secretary, and the phone rang, she answered the phone. Alice Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, just a minute, brother, so-and-so, let me see if he's in. She turns and pushes that red hold button. Remember the red button years ago on the phone, the hold button? She pushes the hold button, turns around, and looks through the open door into pastor's office. Pastor, is brother so-and-so. You want to talk to him? And my pastor said, no, he'll keep me on the phone all morning. Not, just not today. She punches the red button a second time. I said, brother so-and-so, I'm sorry, pastor's not in yet. I want you to call tomorrow. And I'm standing here looking at watching this and hearing this, and I'm thinking, we should not even conduct business this way. But ministry? And by the way, let me try to show you how important this is. I was doing a crusade in a church at Calvary Baptist Church down in Florida. I want to mention the city. And one afternoon, I'm visiting by myself, which we don't do anymore just for, for several reasons, but I've done a lot of that before. We're going door to door, and I'm knocking this one man's door, and he came out on this porch. And I said, sir, I'm from Calvary Baptist Church. We're happy. He said, hold right there, bud. I wouldn't go to your church if it's last church on the face of this earth. And he went and started to close the door, and I said, wait, and he opened the door again. I said, sir, would you please tell me why would you not come to our church? And he stepped out of the porch completely and said, yeah, I'll tell you why. Three different times I have had business dealings with people in your church, and all, all three times your people lied to me and tried to cheat me. If that's what you have, I want nothing to do with that. And he went in and slammed the door. Now, folks, I believe I was talking with a lost man. But if somebody tries to share the gospel with that man, he will not hear it. He'll turn a deaf ear because three different times people who call themselves believers were not people of integrity. It is that important. And if you're a person on, attempt, on occasion is tempted to lie, would you ask God to set a watch before your lips? That would not happen. That you and I would be people of integrity. 
Here's the third verse I want to ask you to read with me, if you would. Together, speak not evil one of another, brethren. James 4.11. You and I as believers should not use this gift of speech, this wondrous gift of speech, to hurt someone else. Now that is done so easily, isn't it? Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. So often we just we, we run our mouths and don't really think about what we're saying. I went to Christian school for several years, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and then because of finances, mom and dad put us back in the public school for eighth grade. In eighth grade, my favorite class was called shop. Gentlemen, say amen right there. We had woodworking shop, we had metalworking shop, we have drafting, last period of the day. Man, you just couldn't wait to get to shop class every day. It was an awesome class. One evening or one afternoon in class, Mr. Greenhagen showed a movie called Primitive Pete. It was kind of an animated cartoon, but it, was a, it had a message to it. Pete was a, a caveman. He lived in this little cave, and he was always breaking the primitive tools by using them incorrectly. And they showed us the movie to show us the importance of using tools correctly. Well, the lights came back on. Mr. Greenhagen said, okay, guys, class dismissed. We walked out the door. Now, in eighth grade, I probably weighed all of 85 pounds. I've never been a really big guy, okay? But that day, I squeezed through the door. We beside a hulk of a guy named Brian Callahan. Brian Callahan, eighth grade, was six foot four, two hundred twenty pounds. He was a, he was huge, just a big, big old guy. Now, did you ever say something dumb just to get a laugh and then think about it later, and you really shouldn't have said it? For the price, I think it starts in junior high and continues most of the rest of your life quite often. But I said something just to get a laugh. I said, "Hey guys, this isn't Brian Callahan. This is Caveman Callahan," and everybody laughed. But guess what? The guys in our class called Brian for the rest of the school year. He was no longer Brian. He was caveman. Without really intending to, I'd use my gift of speech to hurt somebody else. You know, sometimes I think the people that do the most hurting, we hurt the people that we love the most. Sometimes parents can be on their kids, and we have to have discipline for our kids and structure and, and, and direction, but you don't have to be harsh and hateful with your kids, do you? And sometimes we're, we're that way, and I watch, I watch people that it just seems like the people we love the most are the ones we hurt the most. I was in a church in another state, and the pastor there is a big, tall man, and I think he's about six foot two. And one evening, he took me out to dinner before church. And as we're walking into the restaurant, there's another couple walking from the other direction. Well, he walks a little faster than they outpaced them, got to the door first. So we're in line ahead of them. That'll save you five minutes, amen? But that's not what he had in mind. When he got to the door, he opened it up and said, folks, go ahead of us. And they kind of said, well, you were here first. He said, no, that's not that important. We're not that hungry. I said, I am. No, I didn't. I didn't say that. But he insisted they go ahead. And I watched that man all week long. He was gracious and kind to people. I mean, people would come over to our table, strangers come over to our table and talk with him. And he just radiated kindness and, and people were just drawn to him. In fact, on Wednesday, after four days of that, I said, Lord, would you teach me that? I can learn that to consistently show kindness like this man does. Then came Thursday, the last day of the crusade. We're driving across the parking lot, just the pastor and I are driving at a diagonal across the parking lot, and the pastor's wife came in another vehicle from this side, again at a diagonal. When they got close, they stopped their cars, rolled down their windows, and had about a 20-second exchange. That pastor, so gracious and kind and loving to everybody, when talking with his own wife, was cold and cruel, cruel, and he actually put her down. And I watched that. And I thought, if I could only be kind and gracious to one person in this world, who should I choose? Whom should I choose of that one person? Should it not be Elma? And gentlemen, if you're in a habit of being just rough and abrupt to people and even hurting people, ask God to sit a watch before your lips. That would not continue. 
Here's the fourth verse, if you read it with me, please. Together. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. The fourth and final thing, we should not do this gift of speech. Number four, we should not use it to complain. We as Americans have been blessed, blessed by God, blessed again and again and again, far more than any other people on the face of this earth. And God has given us so many things we don't deserve that now we expect life to be absolutely perfect. And if God sends us a day where things just don't go our way, we open our mouth, we grumble, we complain, we gripe, and we sin against the God who has, has been so kind to us. Can I show you something about human nature? Give me just a second here. Let's share this different line here. Okay, and what do you see? Talk to me, what do you see? Now that dot is far less than 1% of the surface area of that card, but nobody said I see a white card. You said I see a black dot. When there's some little tiny element of trouble in our life, things are not going our way, just some little minuscule thing, we don't focus on the fact that 99.9% of our life is blessing from God. What do we focus on? That little tiny dot. And we go through the whole day crumbling and criping and complaining because things just didn't go our way. If you're a complainer, and some, all of us, I think, are tempted to that, aren't we? But if you're a complainer, take a, take a trip to India and watch the people there. The believers there have absolutely nothing. One family showed me their, fa- their house. The house is probably 8 feet wide and 12 feet long, the entire house. I'm not talking about their bedroom. I'm talking about the entire building. That was their house. And they were so happy and gracious. And just the people over there have nothing. In fact, if you went to one of them and described a, f- a food bar, the food bars that we have, you could not convince them that you were telling the truth. 92 varieties of food at one, at one meal? No way. And yet they're so gracious and so happy with what God has given to them. So very quickly, here's the four things we should not do with this gift of speech. Number one, we should not use it to take God's name in vain. Secondly, we should not use it to tell a lie. Thirdly, we should not use it to hurt someone else. And fourthly, we should not use it to complain. Okay, let's quickly go to the positive. Three things we should do that we can honor God's name with this gift that he gave to us. Read the first verse with me, if you would please. Together, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. That's Psalm 9.1. If you're in Psalm, go back to Psalm 9 one more time, real quickly, just a page or two, probably there. And look at Psalm 9 and read verse 2. Together, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Together, verse 11. Together, sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Then verse 14, together. That I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. So here's the first thing you and I as believers should do with this gift of speech. We should use it to praise God's name. Our God is worthy of praise. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, who went to Calvary, took our sins to the cross, and now offers us salvation as a free gift. He deserves our praise. Several years ago, I put the word praise into my computer. I had a Bible word search program. So I typed in the word praise. You know what my computer, the response from my computer was? Too many matches. Please be more specific. I found out that day the command to praise God's name is found in my Bible several hundred times. Now think with me. If the command to praise God's name is found hundreds of times in Scripture, what does it tell us about praise? 
Praise is important to our God. And here's the amazing thing. The God who created this universe, and the scientists are telling us now, they estimate there's more than 400 billion billion stars. They tell us to cross the Milky Way at the speed of light would take approximately 120,000 years. We're talking an awesome creator, and yet that creator is thrilled when I open my my heart and sing a song of praise to him. By the way, there is power in praise. When you're facing temptation and you're about to give in, how do you battle temptation? Sure, pray and ask for deliverance, ask God for, for, for power, and quote a scripture to the devil. But also, at the moment of temptation, open your mouth and sing a song of praise to God. It's like the tempter says, man, I'm out of here. I don't want to hear this. There is power in praise. If you're a person who's always down and defeated and discouraged, you know how to have victory? Good, godly music. Play music in your home that honors God. That will lift your spirits. When you're out driving the car, taking a walk, sing songs of praise to God. That will lift your spirits and give you victory. When I went on staff of the church in Phoenix, I met an older lady in the church named Betty Balliet. When I first met Missy Balliet, I was assuming she's probably 68 or 70 years old. She had crippling arthritis. You've seen arthritis. You ever seen a bad case of crippling arthritis? That dear old saint of God was twisted and stooped and deformed, but she was always on top of things. She was always happy and singing and, and praising the Lord. Now, this is back in the 70s when they didn't do it very often, but she actually went to the hospital and had a hip replaced. And then when she had some healing, she went and had the other hip replaced, then had a knee replaced, and another, the other knee replaced. The first time she had surgery, I went to her hospital room, the recovery room, maybe two hours after surgery. And I walked into the room, and you could see the pain in her face and the pain in her eyes. I said, Miss Belliot, how are you doing? And she opened her mouth, not a word about the surgery, not a word about the pain. She opened her mouth and just began to bubble and, and praise God and thank, thank God what a great, beautiful day it had been that day. I thought, wow, Lord, forgive me when I have a hangnail and I complain. Every time she went and had surgery, I'd, I'd go to see her. Not to cheer her up. That was impossible. Let her cheer me up. She had taken cortisone for so many years in her life that she could bump against a piece of furniture and her skin was just split open like wet tissue paper. I mean, this dear lady is in pain every moment of every day of her life. But she's a victor, living a life of, living a life of victory because she knew the secret of praising God. Just before I left that ministry, I found out she wasn't 68 or 70 like I assumed. She was 42. You would have thought she was 70. But she loved the Lord. She let you know it. Nobody felt sorry for her. She lived a life of victory. Quickly, here's a second verse. Read the verse with me, please. Together, we're talking about the things we should do as children of God. Together. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 1.8. What is the third thing we should do with this gift of speech? We should use this gift of speech to, get it up here, say it with me, be a witness. If you're a child of God, you have a story to tell, don't you? You qualify as a witness. If you've observed a traffic accident and you're a witness, all you simply do is tell what you saw, what you experienced. And that's what we as children of God can do, share our testimony with people who don't know the Lord. Whether you've been to Bible college or not, you qualify as a, as a witness. When I was in Bible college, I was working for a grocery store in Southern California called Lucky. One of my co-workers was a big hulk of a guy named Brian Callahan. Brian Callahan was Jewish, but he was non-practicing, but he was a vile, wicked, wicked guy. I just tried to stay out of his way. Out of his way. One evening, we're walking out together. We closed at 11 o'clock at night, and I'm walking out to my car, and Brian comes up and says, I need to ride home. I've got a DUI. And Brian wasn't asking. He was telling. That was the kind of guy he was. Well, I was afraid to say no. I said, get in the car. 
He's showing me how to go, and he's giving me directions. We're driving to his house, and the Holy Spirit says, witness to Brian. I said, no, you don't witness to a guy like Brian. I mean, you have to know Brian. You, don't, you just don't witness to a guy like Brian. And the Lord said, witness to Brian. He needs, he needs salvation. Witness to Brian. The whole way I'm, I'm battling with the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I, I can't witness this guy. He's the wrong person. Lord, you know, you know Brian. And I just have excuse after excuse. We got to his house, pulled in the driveway. And he opened the door, started to get out. I said, Brian, wait. He turned and said, what? I said, Brian, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And to my surprise, this thoughtful across his face, he got back in the car and closed the door and turned to me and said, no, I don't think I would. I sat in the driveway witnessing to Brian probably half an hour. I mean, it's getting later and later. And finally he says, would you come inside? And we go inside in his bedroom, and he had question after question after question. I can't even tell you how long I stayed there answering his questions. I finally got ready to leave. He said, could I have that? And I, I said, what? And he wanted my New Testament. I said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to read it for sure. So I gave it to him. I took him to church one night. During the invitation, we're all standing. He's standing there and gripping the, the, the pew, and his knuckles are white. He's trembling his face. His beat red. And I said, Brian, won't we slip down? I can show you how to be saved. He said, no, not now. Not right now. When we walked out after service, he said, I wanted tonight to, so badly to get saved. But I said, I already promised myself I wasn't going to do it tonight. I said, Brian, why would you wait? He said, if I do this, I don't go halfway. I'll go all the way, and I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I graduated from school just a couple weeks later and moved to the church in Southern California and never saw Brian again. I, I should have you know, kept contact with him. I prayed for him for years and years and years. I hope he got saved by now. But I'm saying this. If you, judging by surface appearances, would choose a person to witness to, you would not choose Brian. I thought he'd hurt me. I really did. And it turned out his, his heart was so very open. He was a witness. He wanted a witness. And then one final verse, quickly. Read the verse with me, please, together. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Ephesians 4.29. I want to call your attention to one word, and that word is edifying. You know what the word means in Scripture? It means to build. As in building a wall, building a schoolhouse, building a church building. God wants you and I to use our gift of speech to edify, to minister. He wants us to use that gift of speech to encourage others. And how do you do that? Usually with your words. When my first wife, was Janice, Janice, was dying of cancer, we went up to Gatlinburg. We're going to go to the Dixie Stampede. And we're sitting outside the doors waiting for the, the door to open and waiting for the, the horse show to start. And a man from a church down in Alabama that I did not even recognize came up and said, Brother Ed, good to see you here. He was probably there for 45 seconds just talking with me. And twice, Brother Jim, twice in the 45 seconds, he managed to say, Brother Ed, we sure love you. And he walked away not knowing that God had used him to encourage me that, day, that evening. Your gift of speech is powerful, folks. And we can use it to, to edify here in the family. And let me say this, and I mean this with all my heart. I've been a member of several different churches in, in my lifetime. I don't know if I've ever been in a church that has that many people as we do today that do edify and encourage and love each other. This is a family, isn't it? Thank God for it. I thank God for this family. Elma and I have been so felt so accepted here. Just thank God for that. You folks are a blessing to us. We're hoping to be a blessing to you as well. But thank God for the encouragement ministry of the people here. Three things we should do with a gift of speech. Number one, we should use it to praise God's name. Second, we should use it to be a witness. And thirdly, we should use it to encourage others. I close with a verse from Proverbs. Read the verse with me, if you would please. Together, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Wait a minute. 
death? Is that not an overstatement? In the early 1930s, a young man by the name of Adolf, who used his gift of speech to stir an entire nation to hatred, nearly 12 million people lost their lives. Yes, death is in the power of the tongue. Life? Well, I read a story about a young man named Dwight. One night, Dwight went down on his knees and knelt beside his kitchen table and said, God, the best I know how, I give myself to you. I'm not holding anything back. I Take all of me. And I'm told that God used the tongue of Dwight L. Moody to bring nearly one million people to salvation. Yes, life is in the tongue if we use it correctly. Let's close by reading that verse one final time together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord my strength and my redeemer.